0: Our Father who art in heaven, thank you, Lord, for giving us life. We are grateful for the blessings that you give us in the temporal things and the spiritual things which we enjoy. Now is another time for us to fellowship with you. We pray that you break down the bread of life with us and satisfy our hungry souls. There is nothing better for us than for us to dwell in your presence and receive of you manna from above we are going on our journey and we want to make it to the heavenly canaan supply to us that manna from above that will give us strength for the labor and strength for our journey may your words spoken through my lips lord be sanctified and be a blessing to all who would listen please grant me of your spirit And put your words in my mouth for this purpose, that we may be prepared for the coming of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage July 29, in moments of weakness, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14 If under trying circumstances, men of spiritual power, pressed beyond measure, become discouraged and desponding, if at times they see nothing desirable in life, that they should choose it. This is nothing strange or new. Let all such remember that one of the mightiest of the prophets fled for his life before the rage of an infuriated woman. Those who, while spending their life energies in self-sacrificing labor, are tempted to give way to despondency and distrust, may gather courage from the experience of Elijah. It is the time of greatest weakness that Satan assails the soul with the fiercest temptations. He who had maintained his trust in Jehovah during the years of drought and famine, he who had withstood undaunted before Ahab, he who threw out that trying day on Carmel, had stood before the whole nation of Israel, the sole witness to the true God, in a moment of weariness, allowed fear of death to overcome his faith in God. When we are encompassed with doubt, Perplexed by circumstances or afflicted by poverty or distress, Satan seeks to shake our confidence in Jehovah. But God understands and he still pities and loves. He reads the motives and the purposes of the heart. To wait patiently, to trust when everything looks dark is the lesson that the leaders in God's work need to learn. Heaven will not fail them in their day of adversity. Nothing is apparently more helpless, yet really more invincible, than the soul that feels its nothingness and relies wholly on God. Not alone for men in positions of large responsibility is the lesson of Elijah's experience in learning anew how to trust God in the hour of trial. He who was Elijah's strength is strong to uphold every struggling child of his, no matter how weak. Of everyone, he expects loyalty, and to everyone, he grants power according to the need. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is, In Moments of Weakness. After Elijah sat under that juniper tree, an angel came and met him and gave him food to eat and he went to Mount Carmel. He he walked 40 days and 40 nights by the way in the strength of that food. How was it that he was able to walk 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Carmel, not eating anything? He trusted God again. The Lord strengthened Elijah a lot of times. A lot of times. Elijah was a first-hand recipient of the mighty power of Jehovah. He performed feats under the guidance and strength of God that man in his own strength cannot do. Is it the rain that didn't fall for three and a half years or the one that fell after that three and a half years? Is it the fire that came from heaven? And now he's walking from where he was under that juniper tree to Carmel for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't do any of these things in his own strength. It was the Lord who helped him. And when he met the Lord and the Lord asked him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he responded to the Lord. The Lord said to him that he should go again to the mount and he would meet him at a certain place. In First Kings 19, reading from verse 11, it says, And he said, as God said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains wow, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Hmm. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Now, before I continue, I'm just trying to imagine how mighty and terrible this was. If Elijah standing before all of this, how he would have seen the mighty power of God. Why was the Lord doing all of this? Perhaps the Lord was there to show him, look, I have strength. But then, You are not to necessarily think about the breaking of the rocks and the earthquake when you think of the Lord. Because the Lord was not in the earthquake, neither was he in the rending of the mountains. Verse 12 says, And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out. And stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, Shaphat of ebel Mehulah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass, that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha Elijah slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which had not kissed him. Amen. You see, this experience of Elijah is similar to the experience of a fallen child of God who has lost his confidence in God and his trust in Jehovah because of a fall into sin so why did the Lord do this uh, manifestation before Elijah in the renting of the mountains the earthquake the mighty one and also the fire there's a lesson that the Lord wants to teach us in that manner when he showed him those three great manifestations, but he was not there and he was rather in that still small voice. There's a reason why that is recorded, it's a lesson for us, reading from Prophets and Kings, page 168, paragraph 4, and going to page 169, it says, Not in mighty manifestations of divine power, but by a still small voice did God choose to reveal himself to his servant. He desired to teach Elijah, and of course to teach us too, that it is not always the work that makes the greatest demonstration that is most successful in accomplishing his purpose. While Elijah waited for the revelation of the Lord, a tempest rolled, the lightnings flashed, and a devouring fire swept by. But God was not in all this. Then there came a still small voice, and the prophet covered his head before the presence of the Lord. His petulance was silenced his spirit softened and subdued. He now knew that a quiet trust, a firm reliance on God, would ever find for him a present help in time of need. It is not always the most learned presentation of God's truth that convicts and converts the soul, not by eloquence or logic are men's hearts reached but by the sweet influences of the Holy Spirit which operate quietly yet surely in transforming and developing character. It is the still, small voice of the Spirit of God that has power to change the heart. Amen. So, what was this lesson for Elijah? Remember that the fire, Elijah had prayed for fire to come down from heaven and consume that altar. Then he had also prayed for a mighty rain and there was a sound of abundance of rain and with lightnings and thunderings, and also there was a famine. These mighty manifestations were to Elijah the real thing that shows the power of God and you trust God for such mighty things. But the Lord was teaching Elijah and also teaching us that it is not these things that will necessarily convert people. God wanted to teach him that in quiet trust in God that is where the Lord reveals himself in the incident with the prophets of Baal and with Israel as a whole God had manifested himself and Israel had pleaded for God to do that with the famine and the rain and the fire but now in the case of Jezebel here Elijah needed to have a quiet trust in the Lord and in doing that it would have influenced people with that um, spirit of trusting the Lord even in such circumstances. Elijah needed to learn the lesson and what do you think? We also need to learn that lesson. Elijah was strong in mighty battles but in the smaller one which was necessary for him to trust in the Lord, he failed. So the Lord was teaching him the lesson and is also teaching us the lesson that it is not always the work that makes the greatest demonstration that is most successful in accomplishing God's purpose. That's a lesson we should have in our minds. It is not that work that shows greatest demonstration that actually accomplishes God's purpose. It is that still, small voice that accomplishes God's purpose. So, like I was saying earlier, this experience of Elijah is similar to the experience of a fallen child of god and one who has lost his confidence in god because of perhaps a fall into sin though elijah did not fall into a scandalous sin or event yet the discouragement and despondency he felt was very similar to that of a person who seems to have been in a scandal or loses confidence in himself or in god because of it We need to know how to treat people who fall into such situations and relate with them in their moments of weakness. Reading from This Day with God, page 144, paragraph 4, we are told, Life is not made up of great sacrifices and wonderful achievements but of little things. Kindness and love and courtesy are the marks of the Christian. You need to cherish the precious qualities that existed in the character of Jesus. In our association with each other let it be ever remembered that there are chapters in the experience of others that are sealed from mortal eyes there are sad histories that are written in the books of heaven which are sacredly guarded from prying eyes there stand registered long hard battles with trying circumstances arising in the very homes that day by day sap the courage the faith the confidence until the very manhood seems to fall to ruins. Before I continue, you know, this is what what Elijah was passing through. This experience had sapped his courage. It had sapped his faith and his confidence and almost sapped his manhood from him that he ran away from this woman. Continuing the reading, it says, But Jesus knows it all and he never forgets. To such words of kindness and affection are welcome as the smile of angels. A strong, helpful grasp of the hand of a true friend is worth more than gold and silver. It helps him to regain the manhood of the man." So that was what the Lord did for Elijah. What did Elijah need? Was it that fire? No. Was it the earthquake? No. Was it the rending of the mountains that Elijah needed? No. It was the still small voice that Elijah needed and we should know how to help people in their moments of weakness. In the moment of Elijah's weakness, the Lord did not come and reveal himself to Elijah in thunderings and in the rending of mountains and in fire. At that time, Elijah needed that still small voice and that still small voice represents the helpful grasp of the hand of a true friend and it was worth more than gold and silver to Elijah and we should be in the place of God to our friends to our ministers to our loved ones in their moments of weakness to stretch that helping hand that strong helpful grasp to show our friendliness to them in their moments of weakness so what do we do when we are to meet the one who genuinely errs you know in elijah's case it was not like a scandal like you see somebody like in the days of david fell into adultery and all of that it was not like that elijah's case was a subtle sin. it was a sin, nonetheless but the lord appeared to him in that still small voice we must represent the lord in a still small voice to those who fall into sin you know what elijah did here was similar to what david did When King Saul came after his life and he went to the land of the Philistines and feigned himself to be like a madman and the spit was coming down from his mouth. And also, when Saul had twice almost killed him, David lost his confidence and trust in God. He felt that the Lord could not protect him anymore. He felt that if I remain like this, Saul has almost killed me twice. If I remain like this, one time he's going to kill me. And he ran away from Israel and went to the land of the Philistines. He told a lie. He slew many of the Philistines and other of the enemies of the Lord. And he went to tell Achish, the king of Gath, that he was slaying the children of Israel. In doing this, he had taken matters into his own hand and was protecting himself. And did not leave himself under the hand of God to protect him. Same with Elijah. In running away, he was protecting himself. He did not leave himself in the hand of God to protect him. Now that doesn't negate like i've said in other devotions what the lord jesus said that if they persecute us in one city flee to another the reason for that is prejudice when you know that people have been prejudiced against you and you are persecuted it's not necessarily people looking for your life but you know that the people's ears are closed they cannot listen to you anymore go into another city and preach the word of god there which since you know that continuing to do the work of god in this particular vicinity is not going to work because people's ears are closed go to another place not that you are running away in fear like how david and elijah did no not like that in the case of david and elijah they fell into sin by running away from god and in the case of david this loss of confidence in god was building up and building up till the day he slept with Bathsheba. And it was not good for him so we need to learn how to be that still small voice to those who err reading from gospel workers of 1892 page 93 paragraph 2 we are told frequently the truth and facts are to be plainly spoken to the erring, to make them see and feel their error that they may reform but this should ever be done with pitying tenderness not with harshness or severity, but considering one's own weakness, lest he also be tempted. When the one at fault sees and acknowledges his error, then instead of grieving him and seeking to make him feel more deeply, comfort should be given. In the Sermon of Christ upon the Mount he said, Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Matthew 7 verse 1 to 4. Our Savior reproved for harsh judgment. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Matthew 7 verse 1 to 4. It is frequently the case that while one is quick to discern the errors of his brethren, he may be in greater faults himself, but be blind to them. All who are followers of Christ should deal with one another exactly as we wish the Lord to deal with us in our errors and weaknesses. For we are all erring and need his pity and forgiveness. Jesus consented to take human nature that he might know how to pity and how to plead with his Father in behalf of sinful erring mortals. He volunteered to become man's advocate, and he humiliated himself to become acquainted with the temptations wherewith man was beset, that he might succor those who should be tempted and be a tender and faithful high priest. End of Know Jesus became a man so that he can know how to sympathize. We who are weaker than Jesus, who have fallen into sin, ought to know how to also succor those that are tempted. Because in our own case, Jesus did not even fall. We have fallen several times. In the moments of weakness for people, we should be there for them. And in our own moments of weakness, we should understand that, like we read in the devotion, somebody who was mighty like uh, Elijah also had his moment of weakness. And we shouldn't be discouraged. And we shouldn't discourage others. Elijah, the Lord did not discourage him in this time. But spoke to him in a still small voice and that is a representation of how we should also seek to help those who fall into sin then another thing is this when we see the ministers of the lord fall what do we do like it was for elijah we need to understand the battle in which we are engaged if we are engaged in the battle of the lord that is no time for you to take your weapons of war and strike god's people we are in a battle that's not time for you to behold the beam that is in your brother's eyes especially when they are engaged in a warfare against the enemies of truth sometimes you may hear of god's children maybe they fall into one sin or the other you must know how to deal with these matters reading from gospel workers page 94 paragraph 2 it says frequently there is necessity for plainly rebuking sin and reproving wrong but ministers who are working for the salvation of their fellow men should not be pitiless toward the errors of one another nor make prominent their defects in their organizations. They should not expose or reprove their weaknesses. Oh my, in the moment of weakness, do not expose your fellow brother in his moment of weakness. They should inquire if such a course pursued by another toward themselves would bring about the desired effect. Would it increase their love for and confidence in the one who thus made prominent their weaknesses, their mistakes? Especially should the mistakes of ministers who are engaged in the work of God be kept within as small a circle as possible. For there are many weak ones who will take advantage if they are aware that those who minister in word and doctrine have weaknesses like other men? And it is a most cruel thing for the faults of a minister to be exposed to unbelievers if that minister is counted worthy to labor in the future for the salvation of souls. No good can come of this exposure, but only harm. The Lord frowns upon this course for it is undermining the confidence of the people in those whom he accepts to carry forward his work. The character of every laborer should be jealously guarded by brother ministers. God says, Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. First Chronicles 16 verse 22 Love and confidence should be cherished. A lack of this love and confidence in one minister for another does not increase the happiness of the one thus deficient. But as he makes his brother unhappy, he is unhappy himself. There is greater power in love than was ever found in censure. Love will melt its way through barriers while censure will close up every avenue of the soul." The lesson we are learning here is very, very important. Perhaps you have a minister who is preaching the straight truth like Elijah. He has a work he's doing, and that work he's coming in opposition to many who are against the truth of the Lord. And these people who are opposing the truth are just looking for one defect, one fault which they can hold upon, which if they use it, they will pierce him and kill his confidence and kill his faith in God so that he will never speak again. And there are many ministers of the Lord who have been silenced like this. You who are a child of God, what do you do? When they bring up this defect of character in the ministers of God, perhaps because of the way they said something or because of the way they did one little thing or the other, just a mote, like the Lord said, they are trying to bring this molehill into your attention. What would you do? Would you spread it? When you do that, you are doing wrong. In the moment of the weakness of the minister of the Lord like Elijah, when you know that this person is doing a great work fighting the battles of the Lord, is that a time for you to credit the, the information that is coming that has not even been verified? Is that a time for you to take note of the mote in the eyes of this minister when those who are bringing it have a beam in their eyes? This is just similar to what the Pharisees did with the disciples of Jesus. They came to talk about the mote that was in the eyes of the disciples of, the, of, of Jesus when they had a beam in their eyes and what did Jesus do? Do you think he was going to listen to them and say, oh yes, my disciples were wrong? Let's read it in the book of Mark 7, reading from verse 1, it says, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem, and when they saw some of Jesus' disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders, and when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of so you see here that just in a small matter, these Pharisees were finding a fault with Jesus' disciples. Verse 5 now says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why walk not your disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? Now understand this scenario here. They were seeing a weakness in the disciples of Jesus in that they did not wash their hands before they ate. But Jesus understands that these disciples are his workers and they are doing a great work for him. Now, the people, the Pharisees, who were bringing up this defect and finding a fault with these men of God had greater evils in their life, and they had the gods to come and meet Jesus to talk about the weakness of his disciples in the moment of their weakness, which was not even anything compared to what the pharisees were doing how do you think jesus would respond do you think he was going to pacify the pharisees and say oh the disciples are a hindrance to these pharisees accepting my message let me apologize to the pharisees so that the pharisees can accept the messages so so that i'll have a good relationship with them let's see how jesus responded verse 6 he says he answered and said unto them well has is isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites as it is written these people honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me Howbeit, in vain do they worship me teaching for doctrines the commandments of men for laying aside the commandments of god you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do and he said unto them full well you reject the commandment of god Do you see that thing again the commandment of god that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered. And many such like things do ye. Wow. Jesus turned it against the Pharisees. He was not here to find fault with his disciples because of some people who would not accept the truth and making it look as if the disciples were a barrier. They are washing, they are not washing of hands is a barrier to them accepting the truth. Jesus pointed out their own sin to them. Many times you may be one who, like Jesus, people will bring a message of God's ministers to you and tell you. Do you see they are not washing their hands before they eat? See how they are dressing. See how he spoke. See how he did his hand there. See how they are not even following the laws of cleanliness. They are not so clean. That's what they were saying here. They are not living a clean life. They don't dress their bed properly. They don't wash their houses properly. They don't sweep their room. They are defiled. Trying to make that to be a fault in the the, the eyes of people. And if Jesus credited this information, what do you think will happen? Like we read in, our, in, God, in Gospel Workers, page 94, paragraph 2, it says, They should inquire if such a course pursued by another towards themselves would bring about the desired effect. Would it increase their love for and confidence in the one who thus made prominent their mistakes? End of quote. So these Pharisees were making prominent the mistakes of the disciples. If Jesus had credited it, would he have increased the love and confidence of other people in his disciples? It would have dropped the confidence of people in Jesus' disciples. So Jesus did not even credit the information. Instead he pointed to the Pharisees, you who want people to have confidence in you and lose confidence in my disciples, you are breaking the commandments of God and trying to find a little fault in these disciples. And that's how it is, that when the mighty men of God preach the straight testimony calling the eyes of the people to the truth that they have neglected then those people who do not like the message will want to find a fault in a small thing in the life of the disciples of the lord they will want to find a fault and use that as a reason why people should lose confidence in god's messengers imagine what it would have been like if jesus rebuked his disciples in the presence of the pharisees it's just like parents and teachers and their children You know, children, they don't want to be corrected many times. And they will always want to find fault when the teacher corrects them. If parents credit the um, report of the children in the presence of the teacher, it will embolden the children in the wrong thing. So also, if you see a messenger of the Lord preaching a message and then you correct that messenger... When he has not done anything wrong, in the presence of his members, what do you think is going to happen? It will make them to lose confidence in that teacher. Child Guidance and five, paragraph 1 says, When parents justify the complaints of their children against the authority and discipline of the school, they do not see that they are increasing the demoralizing power which now prevails to such a fearful extent. Every influence surrounding the youth needs to be on the right side for youthful depravity is increasing." End of quote. We can apply this to Jesus' case. If he had rebuked his disciples in the presence of the Pharisees who were up to no good, ah, it would have been bad. Jesus knew better than to do that and this is a lesson we must learn. The disciples were co-laborers with him and he was not going to talk of their supposed weakness to the Pharisees and correct the disciples. In a matter that was actually nothing because it would have emboldened the Pharisees in their evil. So, we are to, like Jesus, sustain and uphold the messengers in their moments of weakness, or if someone tries to bring up a defect in their character to so our notice, parents do the same for the teachers of your children. So, what I'm saying here is that. The relation of teacher and parent is the same kind of relation which should exist among those who are involved in the work of God. Those who are involved in the same work of God should know how to treat the weaknesses of their fellow laborers in kindness and compassion. The consequences of not handling these matters properly are great. If not handled properly, it can bring down the whole work of God like a house of cards. Wisdom and love, great wisdom, is needed in these matters. Laborers in the work of God are like teachers who have children under them. The parent and teacher are supposed to work together as co-laborers to help the child. When the fault of one is rebuked or spoken of in the presence of the other, it has an effect on the mind of the child. Rather, it should be done privately. Child guidance page 325 paragraph 2 says, Parents who have never felt the care which they should feel for the souls of their children and who have never given them proper restraint and instruction are the very ones who manifest the most bitter opposition when their children are restrained, reproved, or corrected at school. Okay, reading from Child Guidance, page 325, paragraph 3, we are told, Let parents teach their children to be true to God, true to principle and thoughts, to themselves and to all with whom they are connected. Parents, when the church school teacher tries to train and discipline your children that they may gain eternal life, do not in their presence criticize his actions, even though you may think him too severe. You know where I'm getting at? Maybe a minister of the Lord too can do something in trying to make the church. And the people to see their error and in the midst of that you may think him to be too severe what do you do do you go around talking to the people who he was speaking to and saying yes he was too severe he shouldn't have done this you shouldn't have done that you are you are diminishing the confidence of those people in that minister and you are scattering you are not gathering with god you are not to do that if you are to correct that minister Do it privately. It says, If you desire them to give their heart to the Savior, cooperate with the teacher's efforts for their salvation. How much better it is for children, instead of hearing criticism, to hear from the lips of their mother words of commendation regarding the work of the teacher. Such words make lasting impressions and influence the children to respect the teacher. If criticism or suggestion in regard to the teacher's work becomes necessary, it should be made to him in private. If this proves ineffective, let the matter be referred to those who are responsible for the management of the school. And of course, my point here is, I'm saying you can apply this to the weaknesses of God's ministers like Elijah. The way the Lord spoke to him in a still small voice in the time of his weakness is still the same way we should learn to deal with the ministers of the Lord who are preaching the present truth should they make a mistake speak to them privately it shouldn't be something that you go to speak publicly and then make them the people who they are speaking to lose confidence in the messenger of the Lord and the Lord can give us wisdom in these things and another lesson for us here is we may fall in this time of weaknesses and understand like we read that it is the time of the greatest weakness that Satan assails the soul with the fiercest temptations. He who had maintained his trust in Jehovah during the years of drought and famine, he who stood undaunted before Ahab, he who throughout that trying day on Carmel had stood before the whole nation of Israel, the sole witness to the true God, and in a moment of weariness allowed the fear of death to overcome his faith in God. Now, for us, was the lesson? When we are encompassed with doubt, we may have these experiences like Elijah. You must remember that someone like us has passed through this and God understood, God treated him with that still small voice. And we can also understand that when we pass through this discouragement, the Lord has not rejected you god understands and he still pities and loves and we should not be so discouraged that we think that the lord is coming to us with fire and with earthquake and all of that no he's coming in a still small voice and we too we see our brethren in a moment of weakness come to them in a still small voice may the lord bless us as we put these lessons into practice let us pray Dear Father in heaven, help us to be a still small voice to our brethren in the moment of weakness. And should we in our own time pass through a moment of weakness, I pray that you would also help us to remember that you come to us in a still small voice and not to move away in hopelessness and despondency, but to go back to the work which you have given to us. Thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Oh,